Welcome to another episode of the Drama New South Wales podcast. This episode continues in our series looking at studies of, in drama and theatre. And in particular, this one looks at significant plays of the 20th century. I interview Belinda Far Jones, an expert when it comes to this topic area, and she has a lot of wisdom to give both students and teachers on what exactly this topic explores and how it's not just about the literary perspective of these plays. There's a whole lot of playmaking to do within it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Belinda trained at Macquarie University 25 years ago with one of the first cohorts to graduate with the drama teaching method. As a targeted graduate, she began her career at Pennant Hills High School, but left after four years to gain overseas experience. In the UK, she led a drama department and theatre at Bearwood College for five years and another year at Queen's College London. Determined to make the most of her time close to the beating heart of European theatre, she worked closely with Propeller Theatre Company, enjoyed five Edinburgh festivals and took students to Greece to perform a comedy in Epidavros. Belinda also completed scores of short courses with leading theatre companies, playwrights and directors in London, including Stephen Burkov, Tom Stoppard, Complicité, The National Theatre, Shakespeare's Globe and the RSC. Despite her deep passion for public education, she was unable to secure full-time work with the department upon returning from Europe. Instead, she's enjoyed teaching, directing and pastoral leadership at Cranbrook since 2004. She's run a drama program at Redfern Community Centre before becoming a parent and still volunteers for Belvoir's Enrichment Theatre Program when theatre is alive and well. She thoroughly enjoys mentoring teachers through her work at Nessa and Belvoir and hopes she can maintain the energy to work with young people for some time yet. Welcome, Belinda. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege. No worries. So today we're talking about significant plays of the 20th century. The beginning of the rubric for the unit says this topic explores theoretically and experientially how significant theatrical works shifted and influenced the theatrical paradigm of the 20th century and beyond. I mean, that sounds huge already as a sentence. What do you think that actually means if you were to summarise it for everyone? You're right. There are some big words in there. But I think it means a few things, and I hope you don't mind me breaking it down a little bit. No, that's great. I think paradigm shifts are, are simply new ways of doing things and new ways of approaching theatre making. To know what was new, though, we need to have some sense of what came before. And um, I think throughout the 20th century, there were certain playwrights that responded to the world by making gutsy and brave choices about what theatre could be and new forms sprung up or they were extended because of the plays these people wrote. And I think in that rubric, the words theoretically and experientially, they're, they're both important and we, we need to know why these playwrights wish to find new ways to tell stories and to get their audience to question society, I think. And I think um, it, the rubric's asking us to experience new techniques and choices ourselves as theatre makers. So yes, um, we, we know that when major things happen in society, artists find new ways of, of telling their stories and they have to, whether it's a world war or a holocaust, the rise of multimedia, 
hate crimes that lead to murder, the tragedy of HIV and probably now COVID, um, artists spend a lot of time reflecting and thinking, how can I tell my message in the most exciting possible way for people to listen? Mm. And um, I think that if there's one word that that entire rubric means to me, it's the word legacy. Mm. And um, kids have really got to get their head around that word. And, and it's not easy. They're not used to reflecting on hindsight sometimes, but they have to for this topic. And I was watching... Uh, Hamilton on the weekend on Disney Plus and um, Alexander has a, some beautiful lyrics in the musical and he says he sings legacy what is a legacy it's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see and I think that might work I haven't done it in class but I think that might <laughs> might break through to some some kids because we need to know what seeds the playwright was trying to plant and how they've been growing since mm. and how they might continue to grow in the future. It's what you leave behind. Mm. So, um, look, I think playwrights are completely aware that they're writing for other theatre practitioners to fertilise their work, if you like, um, and kids are sometimes struggle with that, what the playwright gives us and, and what the practitioners then go on to do. And mm. that's what they've got to be able to to understand what can the actors and directors and designers do with these scripts and what opportunities have these practitioners provided for these theatre makers. And yeah. I think that's what they've got to get their head around rather than just this is the English text that I'm going to study and these are the quotes, Yes, the main quotes I'm going to learn. Yes, and there is a real danger, I think, with the with some of the language in this rubric that students could find themselves thinking of it like an English essay and being like, oh, I can talk about it as a literary work rather than a theatrical work. Absolutely. I think when it was brand new, um, some teachers that had been English teachers, and there are lots of us out there, grabbed onto this idea of, of oh, texts, I can teach those, but... Having theory lessons is, is a real danger, I find. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not about the, t the play script. It's about the potential for that play script to become theatre for an audience. Like mm. all of our drama questions. What yeah. effect will they have? Have they had on an audience? And what effect will they go on to have for generations in the future? Yeah. So just teasing that out a little bit further, are there any other things in the rubric that you think are really important for um, both teachers and students to consider from this rubric? Yeah. Yeah. That word how for every drama teacher is um, really, really vital. And I think that, yes, you do need context. You do need to have um, an idea of where these plays have sprung from, but don't get bogged down in it. Yeah. Um, you, you, you need to know what the challenging content is, but I think the most important thing that the kids need um, is how the practitioners continue to affect an audience in dynamic and powerful ways. Um, and if students are really clear about their chosen scripts and, and why they're new and different and spend all of their time creating powerful moments on the stage, uh, with production elements, then they're not going to fall into that trap of being too literary or writing mm -hmm. a history essay. Yeah. That's the danger. So you've got to understand the context but embed it in your moments on the stage rather than plopping it onto the page as a separate being. 
Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. It, that's actually a good segue into one of the next questions. I particularly, I used to teach this when it first came out, and I remember there was a lot of discussion, I think from a lot of teachers who, who were English teachers as well, mm. about how do you teach this unit um, experientially? How do you do the moments on stage alive and well when it's talking about plays and the impact they had in the context of the 20th century. Mm. Um, what would you say to people who are kind of confused about that or unsure about how to bring it to life in the classroom? Just like every uh, HSE question, you've got to read every single word of the rubric. And that yeah. rubric says, and beyond. And they're really powerful uh, words for us and we cannot ignore them because they have to be, they have to be alive and well in the classroom. So I would resist the urge of reading those plays from the page one to the final page in class. There is no time in our curriculum to do that. If you can set up that expectation of them reading it in the holidays, coming prepared, whether they uh, can, can watch uh, a live performance along with reading it, that can help at home, but don't waste your class time doing that. And with this topic, I do teach one play and then the other, and I do that in chronological order and really give them an idea of uh, what the form is. And every lesson I go in with uh, a, a very clear goal of what technique we're focusing on and a moment that I think best captures that or gives the kids a, a real understanding of how to bring that to life, whether it's let's do this in a Brechtian style or let's do this, we're really focusing on the absurdism or how are we going to play with the number of people in our ensemble at this moment? And then I um, get them to rehearse uh, just a period and then for homework, they have to think about the production elements they'll bring in the next day or the cost, you know, any, any of the colour yeah. um, and make it as, as, as fully rich an experience as uh, that I possibly can. Every lesson has to be theatre making, on their feet, no laptops. I provide the focus and ask them to position the audience in a particular way. Mm. So once the audience has seen um, the moment, then I connect that piece of theatre to the context of the time and now. So mm -hmm. they're always connecting the history to the work, if that makes sense. Often it's a lesson rehearsing and planning and then homework will be line learning and it's a real polished piece of theatre. Um, and there's no time where we spend 50 minutes with me writing on the whiteboard. It's theatre making all the time. And then, because that's what kids want to do really. And then once we've enjoyed a moment of theatre, then we break down the context or um, the, the effect on the audience and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's those moments with theatre making that brings the plays alive for the students and gives them almost that real moment of like, if this is what it feels like alive in front of me now, yeah. imagine what it would have felt like in that context that I've just learnt about back yeah. in whenever it was. Because knowing that kind of contextual historical information also gives them that insight into, wow, if this is coming alive like this for me now, imagine back then. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you can get groups working on the same moment but deliberately give them different tools so uh, you might have you might you might have one group playing with for Laramie some some live streaming uh, authentic footage and um, they might have 
I don't know, six ensemble members to play with on, on the stage and another group just working with an overhead projector and two people on stage, same scene. And then they really get the idea of practitioners bringing the work alive and what mm. the playwright has given us. Um, mm. And they, they try not to confuse that, I guess. Um, and with the assessment also for this topic, um, I get them to choose a moment from each of their plays and then they have to run it, run it back in two entirely different ways. So one might have a Brechtian feel, one might have a realist feel, that kind of thing. And that's, been, that's worked well until COVID came along and um, <laughs> didn't get to have the assessment. But then something lovely happened when we, we did the GP anyway. Um, and I, I, I enforced forms upon them. So one, you know, one group had absurdism and one group had verbatim. And they had to devise their own work um, with those forms in mind. And that's when I learned uh, where the gaps were and how, how they really did understand the um the legacy and um the the power of those forms in a really mm. rich way because they were making completely their own theater mm. um so um should there be a consideration of the directorial decisions and staging of the productions mm. or are you looking more at the script and play itself this confuses students everywhere and if it was the script alone we could study it in English and all would be well. So it's vital that that drama students have a really clear idea of what the playwright's giving us and then what the practitioners do with these gifts. So <laughs> it's got to be explained to them what the role of the playwright is. It sounds so basic, you know, what is the role of the playwright versus the practitioners that stage the work. But it's, it mustn't be basic because kids get it wrong all the time. Mm. And I think you've got to remind them that um, the, the, what, you know, what is structure? Structure is the, the mathematics of a play. How, how long are the scenes? How many people are in them? Are they moments or are they extended scenes? What is a well-made play? So we don't know what a well-made play is. We don't know where we've come from mm. um, and why people wanted to sort of rebel ag against that, um, that nicety of, of the complete play. Um, what is language? And, and, you know, they're, they're the words, but what can an actor do with that language? And, you know, they don't, they're not specific enough in their writing about pitch, pace, pause, rhythm, all those lovely things in our second criteria of our performance, IP, marking schedule. Um, all those beautiful words can be used in, in a drama essay and we don't see them enough. We don't see uh, really precise moments fleshed out enough. So I would urge teachers to be really clear about what the playwright gives us in form, plot, language, structure, um, and then what uh, other practitioners get to do with all of the lovely production elements. And um, kids need to know that they are practitioners. Mm. And that's so important, probably yeah. this year more than any other year. Yeah. Um, because most of us haven't been able to take our kids to the shows they're going to be writing about. So their theatre is valid and the better their theatre is, the, the, the more of a chance they're going to be able to write in a sophisticated and evocative way.
for the written exam. Yeah, yeah. If those, mo as we said, if those moments come alive for them, they're more likely to describe those moments in an essay format in a way that comes alive for the marker. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Instead, lots of kids are still saying things like, Ionesco dresses Mrs. Martin in a white suit or, you know, they're really confusing who the director might be or um, whether or not the playwrights are alive or dead, uh, that kind of thing. That, that sort of misunderstanding, yeah, shows them up. That yeah. and not using enough drama terminology. Uh, you know when you're reading the words of a theatre maker. Yes. You just know when the kid has really thought about the power of verbatim, verbatim theatre and why marginalised people are often championed with this form and, and why um, verbatim might be really important going forward when um, the world's a little crumbly. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That leads on to um, the next question. What are some of the common mistakes? You've just mentioned a few, um, but that students make when writing essay responses for this unit. And what can they do to ensure that they don't make these mistakes again in the future? Mm. Well, there have been over the last few years, lots of questions with more than one part to them more than two parts sometimes more than three parts and kids lock on to the bit they like the best um, mm -hmm. rather than trying to have a go at every section i know it's hard it's 45 minutes you're you're stressed but if we give you a quote or we give you more than one part of the question you really do have to try and and answer all of it so that's one thing. Um, probably the worst thing we get continually is the, this is what I've prepared earlier essay. Um, and that's really sad when, you, when it's someone clearly that's articulate and uh, an excellent writer, but they've given you the essay that they've learned uh, rather than uh, being brave and gutsy with the question when you get in the exam and uh, straddling your excellent knowledge of the plays to that question that we've given you, not the one that you hoped you were going to get. Mm. That would um, be a definite common mistake. And then the whole swathes of um, context that just sits there like a, like a big blob, e.g. Bertolt Brecht was born in 1898 in Aug Augsburg, Germany, and, you know, that all that sort of bio stuff that yeah. they, they have to get out. Like they've memorised all these historical facts about absurdism or existentialism or, you know, other philosophers. But it, instead of embedding it into their moments on stage in a really careful way, um, they've just slapped it in there. This is everything I know. So, so breathe, people. Really breathe and spend a minute. Doesn't it, it doesn't need to be more than a minute. Quickly um, jotting down your plan that only answers the question and then you won't deviate. The, a common thing is... Oh, whoops, I ha I've forgotten the question, so I'll, I'll refer to it in the last line of a paragraph or I'll, <laughs> I'll mention it at the beginning and at the end, but in the middle, you can get whatever. Um, so that, that's really, really common as well. But the big thing to get a 19 or a 20 is what we were talking about before, and that is the personal ownership of your theatre making. Mm. And, you know, this is the form, this is the way this person has broken new ground, and I'm going to show you exactly how I can prove that by telling you about something that happened in my 
dodgy little drama room. It doesn't have to be a theatre. It uh, doesn't have to be fancy. You can do so much with it than an iPhone these days and uh, a little bit of colour and a few props that you've brought in from home. And um, they have a sense of the power of these forms going forward as well because they've been making new theatre with these, um, play, with these the, play, the work of the playwrights. So um, I think, yeah, I think absurdism, it railed against the comfortable certainties of that well-made play that we were talking about before. And it, um, it tried to shock audiences out of complacency and to, mm. and to you know, bring about, bring up close the, the harsh facts of our human situ situation. And I think, I think theatre needs to do that, not always, but it needs to be um, something that we can use in, our, in going forward. <laughs> I think we're yeah, doing well, a few harsh facts right now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's exactly what the rubric says. It's, it's, it's finding those kind of forms and moments that are actually not just kind of influencing, but actually shifting yes. and kind of changing the whole paradigm. Yes. It's, it's actually making a, a, a huge rift in what we already knew. So it is, it's not just, you know, talking about plays in a way that's like, oh, this kind of changed things. It's like this forever changed things yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I love multidiscipline theatre and I think some of the most exciting theatre makers are embracing all sorts of styles and techniques in their work and not just one sometimes. And um, that's, um, you know, that's where the, the top, top kids have a real idea of, of that sort of power and, um, and they know how to make exciting theatre and they talk about it in a really precise and evocative way. So that's mm. what we're hoping a, a little bit more of. And I think some people will have a mad race to write as much as um, they possibly can. And I'm here to tell you that um, handwriting is, is, is really important out there. And if you're a little bit calm and you think about your structure and you think about how one paragraph can segue to the next and you really do have a through line like you would in a GP all the way through your essay, we would rather see less pages that have half-decent handwriting with some nice control than you just being so proud of the second book and the third book. Yeah, we, we really, really would. Yeah, that's I think that's really important for students to remember that it's not necessarily about quantity, but about that quality that we're looking for yeah. and the engagement with the essay question itself. Yes. yes. Yeah, we, we're out. We want a reward. We really yes. want a reward. <laughs> so what would you suggest students do to revise this topic area? Hmm. Sometimes I say to my kids, um, pick up the play as though it's brand new to you and um, you've got three weeks to impress, you know, the human race with your own production and really try and think like a director, which is hard for a 17-year-old. I get that. So I show them the director's folio topic and, I mean, project and, and say try and think about it like a, a, um, a mini director's folio um, because they get sick of reading their own notes and I think if you've constantly just... Um, re-learning re the study notes that you made once for an assessment or a trial, you're going to be bored and you're going to be tempted just to use the same examples all the time. So mm. sometimes just um, picking up the plays from scratch and, and imagining every scene playing out can be a nice bit of revision. I also would urge everyone to work with others, share, collaborate, try and um, 
not just study on your own. Every, you know, your friends doing well is, is going to help your mark as well. Looking at some reviews worldwide of your two plays is, is a great thing to do. You see how other people have um, reacted to these, these scripts at different times in history and we've got access to all of that online. And look, being across the elements of drama and your drama terminology, sometimes uh, one word, you, kids take eight words to say one beautiful word that they could yeah. use. You know, if they just are reminded of those words we're giving them in the, in the elements of drama and the... Uh, and the, and the theatre terminology, if you use that, we've, we were more likely to think that you know how theatre works. Even simple things like downstage centre or, or the reference to a particular light. And practice being gutsy in the timed responses. You know, you have to put yourself out there and it's like learning lines with a script in your hand. It's um, cheating and you know you, it's going to take longer. So... Practice writing essays with your 45 minutes and being brave and using um, proper examples that match the question that you're given. And yeah, write less, write, write less, um, plan, think carefully and um, be real. You, you, your paragraphs need to be like your, your introduction should be a page and once, and it's really, really important, like any opening to a play or first impression in life, your marker will have a bit of an idea, a little bit of an idea of a grade boundary after that first page. So make sure it's really good. <laughs> make sure it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, when I've done marking before, this somebody saying to me, it's kind of like, if you can start reading an essay and if you think about it like a weather report and it's sunny and bright and clear, oh. um, that essay usually goes a long way where if, if it's a bit cloudy or it's, you know, a bit muddled in there, then mm. usually that storm stays around and it becomes un more unclear. Yeah. So I always yeah. like to think with my students, you know, start it off in that really clear way that gets you into that essay and shows them I know what I'm talking about. Hmm. I think there's a lot of 17-year-olds that think that sentences should go on for a very long time. <laughs> I would like to champion the very short, punchy sentence myself. Um, yes. And or just a few of them thrown in because, as you say, you're absolutely right. Like when you have to reread something to try and find the clarity because you're looking for marks, then um, the flow's gone, and we're um, we're a little bit grumpy. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this topic and um, what people need to remember with this topic? Yeah, some, some kids in the 18, 19, 20 land can say so much in such a short space of time. And I've got a little example that might help some students. It's not too long, so would you like me to read it? Yeah, read it out and then we'll also include it in the show notes. Great. In our first attempt at staging the Matthew Shepherd funeral scene, the audience are confronted by Reverend Fred Phelps, a character that passionately vocalises the homophobic hate of the late 20th century. The actor playing Phelps directs his complete attention and body to the audience. His hunched posture and anguished face help to spit the lines of emotion-fueled hatred. While he pulls focus downstage centre, an ensemble of three slowly and gracefully prepare a white sheet for the next verbatim moment. 
Their silent choreography destabilizes the bombastic atmosphere Phelps creates. The contrast is magnetic. So mm. you can see there, we're saying lots. Yeah. We are talking about context because we've talked about the late 20th century. We've slipped that in. So um, you can imply knowledge and you can embed knowledge rather than slapping it down so obviously without connecting to the question. And um, talking about precisely where the actor is in the space and how they're controlling tension and how they're pulling focus. They're simple things. They're simple things I think most kids could do if they knew that they had to get that sort of precision, it would be maybe a bit easier for them. And it, 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 the, I mean, the striking thing for me about that paragraph is how evocative it is. It really isn't taking it from that distance literary perspective where you write about it uh, with a bit of distance, but it's it's evoking a moment, a theatrical moment with the spitting out of the words and the creeping up of the the um, the like people creating the sheet and all of that. It's incredibly in, evocative mm. in showing theatre to the marker. Mm. Someone much smarter than me said once that you had to pretend you're describing these moments to somebody that couldn't see. And um, that's how much detail we want. We just, we want to be able to imagine the theatre that, that people have worked really hard in so many schools to create. We want to see what the hard work they've done and, ce and celebrate it. So please describe it in um, a really evocative way for us and we'll be much, much happier in, in the marking centre. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's great. Um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and knowledge on this topic area. Uh, I think it's a fantastic topic area and particularly I've found students that also study modern history love this topic because they already have the context for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and it means it kind of makes some beautiful connections in their minds of how the arts really does reflect the time periods um, and the social kind of discourse of what was going on at the time as well. So there is that richness as well of um, it linking in with other topics uh, from other subjects. And life. Um, yeah, and life indeed. <laughs> uh, maybe one time in the future there'll be students writing about 2020 in the plays that oh. emerged. <laughs> that short blip. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's hope. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for coming on today and um, yeah, we all on behalf of the drama community, we really appreciate your knowledge. Good luck everybody. Thanks for having me. I hope you found that podcast as helpful as I did. Belinda is certainly an expert in this area and has many, many years of experience with it. We've almost come to the end of our series on studies in drama and theatre. We have a few more to go. And after that, we've got some more exciting topics to explore as well. Thank you so much for the interest that we have had in this podcast. It is one of the most successful ventures that Drama New South Wales has done in terms of feedback from our members and hearing that you absolutely love it. We hope that you feel free to share this podcast with as many people as possible because we believe it's going to be beneficial for more than just teachers in New South Wales. There are so many people who would love to hear about these topics and areas, so why not tell them about it, review us, or get on social media and mention us. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you for our next episode.